Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Before we start, I want to draw your attention to the two ways you can support the podcast financially. If you would like to make a one-off donation, I've set up a Just Giving page where you can help the show continue on into the future by donating as much or as little as you like. Alternatively, there are six different levels of subscription starting from just £5 a month over at patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium. There, you will find two new podcast series, a monthly bulletin, group Zoom meetings, articles and mini-episodes attached to this series. The details are in the show notes below and I would greatly appreciate any help you can manage. Today, I conduct a conversation with a conductor who has a truly international career, guest conducting all across the globe whilst holding chief conductor positions in either Sweden or his native Finland almost constantly since 1998. It is a very great pleasure to welcome Hannu Lintu. Hannu, lovely to talk to you today. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, Mike. Um, it's going to be a very beautiful autumn day here in Helsinki. And you're, you've just started your season again um, that's, after, that's after lockdown. True. Yeah, Yeah, after lockdown, uh, we had two weeks um, with reduced orchestra and reduced audience as everywhere. Yes. And um, we had well, musicians were, of course, overwhelmingly happy to co- come back to our beautiful hall here in Mosikitalo. And um, and of course we are we are happy to play live on TV yes. every week, which yeah. which is rare. Um, so so people are very excited, and 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 I'm I'm glad that we are we are back because we are the orchestra of the of the whole Finland of of, the, of this country, not only in this city, but but we are visible in everywhere, uh, in 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 Finland and and abroad as well. Um, so uh, we had great concerts with Karita Matila, the, the, the wonderful Finnish soprano. We did Wagner Westendoklida, and uh, in the first concert we had great Finnish tenor Thomas Katajala, who is also singing in London and Covent Garden. We did Britain Nocturne. Oh, lovely. And and some some great stuff, you know, Hindemith, um, concert music for brass and, and strings, um, with Pulcinella, you know, this kind of chamber orchestra, um, repertoire, and also this weird stuff, you know, which you very seldom get chance to play. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and we, had, we had great fun. And, and, and today, actually, after after our chat, I'm going to hear my orchestra with Esbeka Salonen, who is who's conducting instead of Ed Gardner, who couldn't come from London mm. um, or wherever he is. I don't know if he's in Norway. And um, and to hear him conduct uh, Adam's Chamber Symphony. Well, as you say, isn't it amazing that there are, there's a whole bit of the repertoire that we struggle to program or orchestras struggle to program that all of a sudden is getting a new lease of life. Because, you know, as you said, Adam's Chamber Symphony and Hindemith pieces for strings and brass, that normally we would struggle to fit into a pro- big symphonic programme, or we choose not to. But now, because of smaller orchestras, they get their chance, don't they? Yeah, but is it, is it because orchestras don't want, or is it because we don't want? I mean, I, I suppose it's both, because, you know... Now, um, it's, since I've known this Hindemith piece, for instance, for years, and I love yeah. it, and it's only 20 minutes, it's, it's easy to, um, you know, uh, 
put into any kind of, of a program. It can be an opener, it, it can be on the second half with, 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 an, with another piece. And it's, it's wonderfully written music. It's, it's, it's something you very seldom hear. Mm. And uh, I've been trying to su suggest it to many orchestras, especially in Europe and America, because it's, it's written for an American orchestra, written for, for the Boston Symphony, it's written for American sound. Mm. And, <laughs> and nobody seems to, you know, it's, it's, um, they're not interested. And I understand that. I mean, it's, it's, this is, but we all, we all need to have our list of awkward works, which we you know, <laughs> yes. just yeah. go, go, just offer and offer until somebody takes something we, yes. we want to do. <laughs> well, you're, I think you're right. Um, yeah, we are awkward and also pieces that we, you know, we feel passionate about and strongly about and want to champion. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, we just need to keep knocking on the door and saying, "Hey, I really want to do this piece." And eventually, some you know people give in and they go, "Yeah, they, they let you do it." Yeah, I mean that that uh, that awkward repertoire I mentioned. It's it's actually, I mean, of course, we all love to do Beethoven and Brahms and Schumann and, and whatever, but um, that it's it's very revealing what our own awkward repertoire actually is. Mm. Um, it would be actually great to, to meet, and it's always great to meet colleagues and, and talk about what kind of music you actually like. I mean, mm. what, what kind of music you really feel that tells something about your soul and your musicianship, musicianship more, than, more than Beethoven or, or Bach, or, you know, if we all do those things and we love them, but there is something, there, there is something which we always need to find which tells something about ourselves. What, yes. what is Hanno? What is Mike? Yeah. And, and that, that is something we can see through our rep repertoire. Hanno, I, I, as always, I go right back to the beginning and I try and find out how music first came into your life. When did you first encounter music? When did you first learn an instrument and what instrument was it? Mm, well, I don't come from a very musical family. I mean, it family, I mean, they probably were musical, my, my parents and, and, and their families, since I'm probably musical. Um, mm. That's for others to say, but um, <laughs> I, I feel that music, it, it has always been in, in our family, but no, no one ever played any instrument. Yes. So I'm I'm the first one, and I'm from a very small city called Rauma, which is on the on the west coast uh, of Finland, 100 kilometers north from from Turku, which is one of the biggest cities, uh, a very small harbor city um, with with a good music school, um, boys choir, and um, and a wind band, and um, I started with piano when I was four, and I I really don't know why because um, I suppose um, some um, friends. They had older sisters or brothers who happened to play piano and I, I was interested in what they were doing and I was listening to what they did and I think one day my parents, they just wanted to buy a piano. That was very cheap those days in yes. early 70s. I, I think we both, uh, we bought uh, an old um, Soviet piano called Etude. <laughs> horrible, horrible, absolutely disgusting sound, but it was all... It, it didn't cost anything. They they bought it because because they had some spare money, which was rare, mm. and they were surprised when when I showed some interest into that horrible, stinking <laughs> instrument. And uh, I started to play, and uh, I started to take some lessons. Uh, 
and then it just you know I, I just went to the music school and then uh, when I was eight uh, the music school suggested that I also started to play cello yes. because they they didn't have any cellists in the in the youth orchestra and they noticed that I can read music so <laughs> uh, so my mother decided that all right I maybe would like to play cello as well and it wasn't a good decision because it's uh, I think it's not a good idea for uh, for an eight-year-old to um, to to, to to play two instruments, um, unless you are not Rostropovich or something like that. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, but I mean it's um, but but it was good uh, that I started to play cello because then I got into to the orchestra. I heard different kind of sound. Mm. Um, I started to play chamber music and then take summer summer youth orchestras. Um, so I think that was that was my way to orchestral world and and conducting. But mm. piano uh, still is my main instrument and was my main main instrument always. When you started playing in orchestras, was it something like me that you suddenly thought, "Now this feels like home." I personally wanted then from that moment on to be an orchestral violinist, and eventually I became one. Were you interested in becoming an orchestral cellist or was the piano still, and like you've just said, your your main instrument and the cello was just a side thing? Or did the orchestra, did you want to be involved in orchestras, but in a different way, i.e. conducting? Um, well, I, I played in the orchestras when when I came to Helsinki to study at the Sibelius Academy piano was my main instrument yes but I, I also took cello lessons I played in the conducting class orchestra yes. uh, I then I, then I, I, I did gigs uh, in different orchestras in in Finland and Helsinki I never found I, I think the main thing was that I didn't feel I was an instrumentalist it, yes. it, that wasn't my soul um, I mean, I, I love playing chamber music and I still love playing chamber music and I still love um, playing Chopin nocturnes or Bach fugues <laughs> just for fun. Mm. Uh, but I'm I'm not a performing instrumentalist. That, that was not part of my personality. I noticed that very early, but I wanted to play because I enjoyed playing, but I didn't yes. enjoy performing as an instrumentalist. Mm. Um, but it didn't prevent me from playing and learning more music and and you know, taking the path of music without really knowing what, what I was going to do. Mm. Uh, but then on the other hand, um, I mean, the, the first sort of seed of the, the seed of conducting was planted uh, when I was, um, uh, I heard a performance of Don Carlo at the Savonlina Opera Festival. I think that was 73 or 74, maybe a little bit later. And uh, there was a conductor called Leif Segerstam, whom you probably know. Mm, yes. And Leif, Leif was there in the pit. And I had already been playing in orchestra, so I, I knew what conductors do. I, I mean, I've, I've seen conductors. I played with probably really bad conductors. And this was the first time I saw something something different, you know, something, something which was uh, incredibly impressive. And I, I, I saw that, wow, uh, that guy really makes change and he he knows what he does he he is needed there mm. and uh, i mean i was i was probably 12 um maybe even maybe even less and and if you are 10 or 11 you don't decide that you want to become a conductor <laughs> but but it, it was it was an inspiration and um i think after that it was it was something that i already always carried with me somehow it was uh, 
um, it was since that it was always a possibility. Mm. And when I when I came to the Sibelius Academy and started to play at this conducting class orchestra, it's a it's a chamber orchestra. Um, it consists of of, of students uh, who get they get paid. So I was playing there because I needed money for my rent or something like that. But also because I wanted to see great Yorma Panola teaching. Um, yes. I wanted to see his class, and um, and that was that was probably uh, the the other inspiration. The inspiration number two, um, uh, seeing him um, in early nineties. That was his strongest time. Mm. He was professor in Copenhagen, Stockholm, and Helsinki at the same time. Uh, so he was he was the Pope of conducting those days. Yes. And, uh, uh, well, I've called him the the Yoda of conducting. If you know your Star yeah. Wars, um, Yoda, because because you you have no idea what he's saying. Well, exactly. Um, uh, I studied with him for two weeks in Russia on the recommendation of Zachary Oromo, who was my music director in Birmingham at the time. And as when I started conducting, he said, "Go to Yorma. He'll clean up your technique." And um, and other people I've spoken to on here who've been uh, taught by Yorma say that he doesn't really say very much, but what he does say often to other people, you, you know, you, 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 it's a way of you trying to find the way that works, isn't it? Um, would you agree with that? Mm, yeah, you, you're right about that. It's, um, it, it's not a method. Yeah. Um, and he just happens to have this. I call it X-ray eye. Yes. When 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 there is an audition, and you've you've probably seen um, conducting class auditions. You know, um, yes. those kids really can't do anything. Mm. Um, they just want to show their musicality, and they just want to show their will uh, to to make music and to conduct. And and Jorma Panula has this weird X X-ray eye. I mean, he can see immediately. Aha, this person is going to become a conductor if mm. I just take him or her into the class mm. and I think this is the only method he has um, just putting together people who uh, have inspiration and who want to become conductor and who are musically qualified um, I just put them together and they will teach each other somehow. Mm, it's, a, mm. it's just like a Jesus and, and his disciples. And it, it, it just, <laughs> we, we were just there and, and we were just uh, teaching each other. We were talking with each other. We had long chats. We were talking about uh, history, philosophy, politics. Um, he was there all the time, but he mm. never really said anything. <laughs> um, sometimes he would just give a very... Uh, as you know, I mean, he just gives very um, small technical advice, you know, just some hints. Yes. Uh, but main, mainly, mainly he's, he asks, is, is that what you want? Is that what you want it to sound like? And if you say yes, then he says, oh, then it was fine. If you say no, then he says, well, do something else. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and we, were, we, we were trying to help each other in, in the class. And that's, that's, that's how we sort of survived, under his umbrella somehow. He, I mean, what's famous about that, and you've just mentioned it, is the fact that the conducting students have an orchestra. It's not just two pianos. But yet, when I also, when I studied with him, he, after the sessions with the orchestra in Russia, we would then have a session, usually after lunch, watching the video back. Um, mm. At this point, were you, was he using video then um, in classes? Uh, because I, yes. I found it incredibly useful, not just watching myself on video, but watching him <laughs> dissect other people on video. 
Um, and he always seemed to know exactly where the problems were. He'd go, yes, yes, yes. And he'd skip through, fast forward. He spent most of the time fast forwarding. <coughs> and then he'd say, here, here. And he'd remembered from three hours before what it was um, mm. that the problems were. So he was using video then, yes? He was using videos, yes, and, and of course it, it was, it's, it's always useful to use video because um, as, a, as a young conductor, as you, as you know, you always think that you do so many things and that you, uh, that you manifestate all the musicality and you know, the, the spirit of the composer and, and what you actually see is nothing. Mm. Um, and, and so you, you see yourself in the same way than um, the orchestral musicians actually see you. Yes. And, you you think that you are doing a lot, but actually you are not doing anything. That that was that was the, my first shock with yeah. the, uh, with the with this video system. Um, it, I think it was very useful, but then of course the problem with the video is that when you finally have to leave, when you when you um, exit the class, yes. you don't have a video anymore. So mm. you have to you have to develop this kind of. Um, you have to develop a way how to observe yourself from outside mm. without mm. video. You have to become your own video. That's right. So, yeah. um, so that, 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 is, that is always a difficult moment. I, I can still see it happening when, when, when the kids, when they leave the class, when they do their diploma and, and they sort of want to become professionals and suddenly they have no one uh, saying mm. what they should do or they have no video from which they can see that they are actually not doing anything yet. Um, so it's a, a, this is something you should always you know, remember to tell the students that don't, don't, I mean, don't get, um, somehow don't get too um, dependent on, on the video. It says on Wikipedia, Hanu, which of course we know is always right, <laughs> or, or we know that it isn't. But it says on there that you also studied with Atso Almila and Eri Klaas, and I had a masterclass with um, Ilya Musin. Um, you, since 2014, you've also been a, a visiting professor back at the Sibelius Academy in conducting and teaching. What elements of those three or well, four names, if you include Yorma, do you use when you teach the the young conductors now in Helsinki at Sibelius Academy, and do you also add in, of course, your yet many years of experience of conducting? How what's your approach um, now when you teach them? Mm. All those teachers you mentioned, they are they're different. Atsumila was my first teacher. Mm. Um, from him, I learned the technical basis. He yeah. is really good at that. Um, then there was Jorma. Then Jorma retired and there was Eriklas, uh, who was really teaching very much. And he, he, was, he was saying lots of things. He, I, I think his philosophy was, and I, I, I realized that it's my philosophy too, that you actually have to say things when you have a chance to say them. Yes. I mean, it's better that, that the uh, um, students, that they hear things when they are still safely inside the walls of the academy, not yeah. standing alone on the podium in London or Berlin or Stockholm or wherever. Uh, so it, it was like that. So the difference to Jorma was huge because as you know, as, as we mentioned before, Jorma didn't say much mm. and Eri wanted to say something about everything. Mm. Uh, but I learned a lot from him after the shock. Um, <laughs> I realized that he, he had great things to say. I learned a lot about opera about accompanying from Eri, mm. 
Mm. Uh, and then, of course, there was Ilya Musin, uh, who uh, actually was our guest professor in Helsinki as well. Um, he was 92 years old. He, wow. he, came, he came three times a year from St. Petersburg by train. Um, he was almost blind. Uh, but but he was another other pope. You know, he was the teacher of, of Temir Kanom and Gergiev and you know mm. uh, all those all those wonderful Russian conductors, uh, Tugan Sohiev. Um, and uh, he was um, he was he was an interesting um, interesting professor along with with Jorma because Jorma didn't talk much about technique. Oh, let's say that Jorma didn't have a technical school. Yes. He didn't have a technical guidebook. I mean, this is this is Jorma Panula uh, style of conducting. There is no such thing if you compare no. all his students. I mean, Osmo Vanska doesn't look like Sakari Oram or Esopek Salon and doesn't look like so. So, uh, but but you can actually recognize the Russian conductor everywhere, uh, if especially if they are Ilya Musin's students. I mean, there is this certain roundness, this this uh, this, this certain kind of tricks uh, that that come from from Musin. Musin yes. was incredibly technical. Um, and uh, it was a good mixture. I mean, it was. I mean, it, I mean, it was a very good combination having Yorma um, as professor and Musin as as guest professor. And later, I went to see Musin in Siena also, uh, one summer in the Academia Kijiana in the, in the summer classes, uh, where I also studied with uh, Myungun Chung. Oh yeah. And, um, but I, I realized that when I'm not teaching anymore, I was I was guest professor for three years, okay. uh, from 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 14 uh, onwards, uh, three years, and I realized that um, I'm I'm continuing the the panula tradition in the way that that we have video sessions. Um, I try not to interfere um, the orchestra time too much. I let them do, I want them rehearse. But I also realized that I'm continuing the Eric class tradition in, uh, in the sense that I want to say a lot of things. I, I, I want to share uh, the things I've learned yes. yeah, uh, yeah. during my career. You know, the thing, thing with Jorma is that, that Jorma's international career happened in late 60s and early 70s. Mm. And it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't actually that long international career. Uh, and since that, up to, since um, early 70s, he dedicated into teaching. Um, so he didn't really speak things about um, what do you actually do when you meet uh, a world-class orchestra for the first time? Uh, <laughs> yeah. what, what are the problems? I mean, what, um, uh, what, what, what is it actually like to travel? What, what, what does it mean when you are jet lagged and, and you, you, you really have to cope with, uh, with the Japanese orchestra, you know, these yes. kind of things. And, 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 and the kids want to know about these things as well. Mm. And they also, and nowadays, they also want to know about agents and things like that, which, which Jorma never, he never talked about agents. Uh, but now, of course, the world is different because younger and younger conductors, uh, you know, they, they get, you know, deals with, with agents and, and I can see young conductors who are 20, 22, and they are worried and they don't have any agent. And also, you know, I've, that is also, also one thing that, you know, I've, I've realized as, as a teacher that I have to tell them that, look, agents don't make you conductors. You have to study. Yes. <clears throat> so please, please stay here and study. <laughs> the agents, agents will show up sooner or later. Right. It's an important thing. You know, I, I do a little bit of teaching at the conservatory in Birmingham. And not technical. I talk about the other stuff about building a program or about, as you said, about agencies and dealing with orchestras and things like that. Um, and I think it's very important that a young conductor 
has an overall picture. It's not just, you know, learning your baton technique or whatever else. And we'll pick you up on one thing. Um, having studied with Yorma and talked with Zachary Orama about his time studying with Yorma, I think I can spot a panel of students because they never bend their knees. Um, and I know that was something he was incredibly hot on the two weeks I was there, that he, you're never allowed to bend your knees, especially in time of the music. That, you know, to keep your legs very still and to sort of pivot from the hips. Um, mm. every, every panel, of, pretty much every panel of uh, conducting student who I've played for has that. Would you agree or am I slightly wrong? <sighs> No, I, I remember him saying that thousands and thousands of times. I think, I, think he, I, think, I think he is right because when you bend your knees and especially if you work with your legs, yes. um, uh, it, it actually eats the energy from your hands, mm. uh, from your arms. So, um, so you, need, you need to be focused um, on, the, on the upper body and, and, and keep the lower body as still as possible. Mm. That was actually one of his only technical advices he he you know he he ever gave, yes. but but it works. Mm. Um, but but still, I I sometimes notice that when I get really involved, um, especially during a concert, um, and I sort of lose the control, I immediately try to do something with what with my with my feet, you know, my yes. my legs. I I start to dance, mm. and it's it's part of my. That was always my problem when I was studying, and. Uh, and of course, as, as you know, he, he hates that. But you know, the <laughs> thing does. is that, that the, the energy, the, the conducting energy, it must be concentrated. Mm. And it can't be concentrated if you're dancing around the podium. No, that's so true. So having had all of those studies with those four great conducting teachers, um, you win the Nordic conducting competition in 1994. Was that the first big thing that happened after finishing at the Sibelius Academy? Well, actually, I hadn't finished. I was you're, you're still, still there, right? Okay. Student. Yeah. 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 Uh, so actually, I, I was I wasn't ready to to win any kind of competition those days. Um, um, the Nordic conducting competition it doesn't exist anymore. The oh. the system was um, there were preliminary rounds in each country, uh, yeah. Scandinavian and Nordic country, five countries. Um, and uh, then winners of those preliminary nation, national rounds, they were sent to uh, finals uh, mm. somewhere in Scandinavia. This time it was in Bergen, Norway. And um, so I was representing Finland, you know. Yes. So, um, uh, so I was the only, only Finnish contestant. And uh, well, I mean, um, it was interesting because the chairman of the jury was Rostropovich. I don't mm. know why. I, I still can't understand why it was Rostropovich because otherwise it was a very Nordic competition. Um, and meeting him and and getting chance to talk about music and cello playing, whatever, with him also later uh, meant a lot. Mm. Uh, but it was also a disaster because I happened to win because I wasn't <laughs> ready to take, I wasn't ready for all those gigs after yes. that i was a second year student and i suddenly i was standing in in front of swedish radio symphony or, or oslo philharmonic you know orchestra like that I, and and i wasn't ready for it uh but luckily i was still studying with Jorma. i remember Jorma was there panola was there in the in the finals and after after they announced that okay mr lintu is going to win uh Jorma came to me and and he whispered 
are you coming back? <laughs> and he, he, so, so he meant, are you coming back to the class? Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, knowing, I mean, knowing that, you know, that this is the moment that, you know, if, when, if I get carried away yes. by my win, I never come back and I will, I will never become anything mm. and I will be destroyed. Um, so um, I, I think that he sort of saved my, my professional life, uh, sort of almost ordering me coming back to the yes. class. Uh, so, um, so I continued studying for two more years, uh, but at the same time, I, 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 I tried to continue my, it was mainly Scandinavian career those days, and and then then I got a small agency in Berlin. Then there were more German orchestras, uh, gradually something in America. Um, but I graduated from from the academy two years later, and I'm 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 always I'm always going to be very very grateful about that because um, because otherwise otherwise I, I I would have just you know I would have just collapsed. Yes. I couldn't, well, I, I couldn't really conduct. <laughs> so many people who I've spoken to on the podcast, and you know, we're, we're now into into the into the fifties in episodes, um, have said when they'd won the competition that they thought that first of all they weren't ready to win it. Secondly, they weren't ready for the amount of gigs, um, mm. and a, a couple of them turned them down and said, "You know, I'm not ready. I'm not going to do that that work. I will do it later if you still want me, but I'm not going to do it now." <sighs> Um, and, uh, and it sounds like, you know, Jorma knew, um, and, and guided you and said, look, you know, uh, and you, you obviously knew it was not the time to go suddenly out into the big wide world and do nothing but guest conducting. Um, mm. I think it, it, it it's, the, the, I mean, competitions themselves are a, a very big topic as to, you know, are they any good and what, what does it achieve? Yes, we you find um, people of talent, but it, it can kill them, as you said, can't it? Yes, it can, and and uh, I think every competition has uh, the responsibility to monitor the winners yes. and, and the finalists after the competition. Um, be in contact. I mean, especially if the, if the jury consists of of, of older conductors, um, it should be. Um, there should be some mentoring involved mm. always after 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 every every competition. You you just can't leave uh, the winners alone, mm. and and think that uh, that that the first prize just you know carries them wherever they want to go. It doesn't. No. So uh, they need help. They need more help than they actually they did before the competition. And and best competition know this, but I don't know that many who who do that. One competition I know through one of these podcasts, Besançon, they appoint somebody to the winner for a year or mm. two and give them advice and help them say no and help them choose the right manager, choose the right agency, choose the right you know career path. Somebody who's been in the music business a long time and can can just hold the reins, make sure that the horse doesn't go careering off um, doing crazy things. And I think it should be the duty of all competitions and not just conducting it's the same for you know violin competitions and piano competitions that there should be somebody there for a year just saying look you've done brilliantly you won the competition but now it's time to be careful so yeah I, we agree i think we definitely agree mm.
your early jobs, um, Turku Philharmonic Orchestra for three years, and then uh, Helsingborg, is that how you pronounce it in Sweden? Yeah. Uh, Chief yes. there, and then Tampere in, back in Finland. Uh, and then um, you became principal guest of Finnish Radio, and then Chief, which you're, you still are. You've just, you also said that you work, um, and I've seen you know, you work basically all over the world. Um, what differences do you think you encounter between uh, Finnish orchestras and the way that they're run and the way that the musicians are in rehearsals compared to other places around the world? Do you see any differences? Um, are you mindful of differences? What, what have you encountered through your conducting, especially because you've been bossed so much in Finland and Sweden, um, and then obviously guesting elsewhere? Well, it's um, it's a it's a very wide question, as you know. Yes, um, I know. <laughs> um, um, well, I, I mean, let's start with Finnish orchestras. Um, yes. I I have always enjoyed working. I mean, first of all, I I love Finland. I mean, this mm. is I, I, this is where I live, and this is where I want to live. Uh, I could basically live live anywhere, but it's um, this is this is the place which I love. This is this is the language I want to hear. This is the mm. language I speak. Um, these are the, these are the people I I, I probably um, I probably get. Uh, I mean, these people get best out of me somehow. Yes. Uh, let's yeah. let's put it the other way around. Um, so Finnish orchestras are very, um, the discipline is excellent. They are very fast nowadays, especially Finnish radio symphony. They are, I mean, they can read any music. They are, um, they are very modern. Uh, they know everything about them. I mean, they can, they can play Baroque. They can, they can play uh, Finnish classical. Uh, they can play contemporary. They know about styles. Um, mm. It's a very international orchestra. Um, I have to rehearse in English because uh, over over 20% of the orchestra come from, some, some of them come from Asia, uh, Japan, Korea, uh, Europe, America. Um, so Finland has become very international. Mm. Um, so Finland is, it's, um, it's, it's a musical heaven for me in, in, a, in a way that I, I mean, I can, I can work with my friends. I can, it takes 10 minutes for me to work, to, to go into my, my concert hall. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, as, as a contrast, it's, it's great to go abroad. Um, it depends on the year, but, but more than half of my weeks are, are abroad. Mm. Um, and of course, I mean, uh, what you have to learn when you start to um, travel around, I mean, it's, I mean, these orchestras make you learn that um, the, the, the music is always the same, the playing is always the same, but the cultures are different. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, you can you can always survive without saying anything, but you can't avoid the fact that, for instance, the sense of humor is different in Japan, it's, it's different in America, it's different in Britain, yes. uh, it's different in Finland. Um, uh, the, the, the way how people behave that the way how they react it can be different and and this is something you just have to learn but I, I also started to accept it at some point that uh, there are some geographical areas um, about which I'm not that sure if I'm the right person <laughs> to make music and mm. you know it's um, uh, but I, I suppose it's uh, it's same with every conductor. I mean, you can't yeah, yeah. you can't you can't feel home everywhere, no. um, and it's it's not about 
the musical response of your work, but it's it's about how they react to you as a person, how how they take you as as a as a, as a colleague and as a human being. That that can that can be different. Um, on the other hand, I've learned more and more that the older I become, I've started not to care about that at all. <laughs> I mean that's. Yeah. That's uh, and and just uh, just just do your. I mean that's what I say. That's what I would say if if I had uh, a young conducting student here and ask, asking the same question. I would say don't care. Just mm. just be yourself and, be and yourself. just do, yeah. do do your job as well as you can. Yeah. And and if if your sense of humor doesn't you know it if if if, if there is if nobody understands you then it doesn't matter. Just yeah. just conduct. Um, but well, I, I used to so be right. very yeah. sensitive. I used yeah. to be very sensitive, and and uh, if I if I had if I had the feeling that oh, these people don't like me, these people don't understand me, these people uh, find me weird, these people find me you know foreigner in a in a in a very awkward way, yeah. I panicked. You brought up something there which nobody else has brought up, which is you know there are different parts of the world where maybe you're just your personality and you have your sense of humor and your way of being just. The chemistry's not there and it doesn't work. You know, I've worked in Finland, Finland and loved it and got on very well with, with the Finnish people. Uh, worked in Joensuu, um, which is out by the Russian border. Um, and I absolutely loved working in Finland. But then, you know, there have been other places where I don't think they've got me very well at all. Um, and I think that's something for a young conductor to be aware of, is that just be yourself. There are plenty of countries, there are plenty of orchestras around the world, and they, you'll find the right people if you've got enough and they, they like you. There'll be a chemistry somewhere. It just won't necessarily be every week, will it? No, no, and that's that's the problem of, of in, in being a young conductor that you have to you have to find those places, mm. and if you are lucky, you find those places, and then 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 you can just limit your visits into those places. Um, but it's uh, but but also you know sometimes um, in in very there are some rare cases that. There are some orchestras I don't like that much. I don't. I don't tell you which those are, <laughs> but I go. I go because I enjoy uh, the music making. I, yes. I don't enjoy being there very much on the, on the podium. <laughs> I mean, I. I don't. I, I don't really understand what. I mean, what what kind of people they are. But yes. somehow the music works, mm. and it's it sounds great, and 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 there are great concerts. Um, but I'm, I'm very glad I, I, get, I, I get back home, but mm. I go because it's musically rewarding. Yes, <laughs> I'm in exactly the same boat. <laughs> yeah, there are some mm. places you go and you think, yeah, I, I'm do I don't get these people. I don't get where they're coming mm. from, why they're, why they're being like this. Mm. But in the end, despite of all of this, what a great concert and what a great musical experience. And, you know, mm. you know I, I wouldn't necessarily want to all go out for dinner to go out for dinner with you all or a drink but no, you know, no, but, but yeah. musically it works somehow yeah it's just, uh, that sometimes it just it doesn't matter if you like those people or, or not if they, and if they like you or not if it, if it just works that matters hmm. you mentioned earlier about difficult music or music that um, it, people find difficult to program You've done mm. quite a lot of contemporary music, um, including running the Summer Sounds Festival with the Avanti Orchestra. Um, and contemporary music is a big part of, of or it should, should at least be, a big part of most conductors' lives. Um, do you like to champion um, contemporary music and do you offer it often? And what is it about the challenges of contemporary music that you enjoy? Uh, well, I suppose m most of Finnish conductors 
are uh, championing contemporary music. That's because, right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's it's it, it, it's part of our training, yeah. uh, especially if you come from Panula class. Because um, I I remember that um, his uh, I mean the repertoire in the class when I was studying was was basically uh, I mean we had to start every season. Um, every new season with uh, Haydn mm. because he he hates Mozart and he hates <laughs> Beethoven. So it was Haydn. Haydn is his composer, you know. Right, yeah. um, so this earthbound, uh, you know, countryman Haydn. Mm. Uh, so we, we did lots of Viennese classical with lots of Haydn. We did lots of Sibelius, of course, because yes. because that's that's our music, and those scores are, as you know, they are incredibly difficult, and and, and the earlier you start, the better, and then the third was contemporary music. We always had to do some contemporary music at the class. We need we had to work uh, with um, with young composers in the in the in the composing class. Mm. So uh, we had um, every year we had um, sort of. Um, some kind of a lab together and uh, they, they had their small pieces and we played them and and uh, since that i've always appreciated talking to conductors uh, the conductor I mean, uh, composers uh, because i feel that understanding how composers think i mean if you if you know how living composer thinks you can also understand how dead composer might have been thinking yes. you know, if you understand if you if you understand how Eno Johanni Rautavar composed his piece what what was his thinking what what was his inspiration if you if you uh, understand how Magnus Lindbergh is composing you mm -hmm. probably understand more how how Schumann was composing or how how Beethoven was composing I think I think composers are our key to the past as well yes yeah I've never thought about it like that, but it, it's so right. Um, and I, th I would imagine it also helps living in a country that, you know, every time I've been to Yoensu, which I think is three times now, there's been a piece of contemporary music on the programme, or they've not been frightened to, pr to programme it, that the audiences aren't frightened of contemporary music. No. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that must be a big feature as well, coming from that Finnish culture where they're not frightened of hearing the latest thing and they're open to hearing it and, and experiencing it. Actually in Helsinki I've noticed that if we program, um, uh, let's say, um, a program with um, with a Mozart overture and uh, and a Schumann concerto and a Sibelius symphony. Uh, the concerts are necessarily not sold out. But if we if we do Lutoslavsky and Lindbergh and some bird whistle, yeah. everything is sold out. So, uh, so <laughs> people people are yeah. interested in, in in new things. Um, but it uh, but of course at, at the same time, I mean, if audiences here are same than anywhere else. They love their Tchaikovsky. They 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 love Brahms and they love Beethoven. Of course, and you have to give those composers them as well um but they they seem to they seem to take contemporary music very well um mm. it's 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 part of the musical identity uh, at least in helsinki at the, very strongly at the moment when you come to learn one of these contemporary pieces or even you know a, a piece of standard repertoire you might not have conducted in your career do you have a, a way of learning a system? Do you sit at the piano because you're a pianist or do you sit at your desk mm. in silence? And uh, because I ask every kid up to this, uh, do you write a lot in your scores? I know that Yorma is very against writing in scores. He saw my scores 
I thought, uh, you know, they'd been got at by children, I think, that was full of different colours <laughs> and whatever. He didn't like that. But I wonder, have you have you gone away from that or do you still stick to the panel and not writing very much in? I, I realised that when I study, I, I do markings because it's, mm. it's, my, it's, it's the way how I think. Yes. You know, I, I see things and then, then, then I just mark them somehow. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I very often realize that after, um, after studying, let's say that I have, a, I have a premiere, I have a new piece I have to study. And I, I, let's say that I, I, start, I get it maybe two or three months before the, the rehearsal start. Um, I have actually two scores. I use two different scores. The first one is the one which I mark. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the one which, which I use when, when I go it through very carefully, slowly, and try mm -hmm. to find all the details and how those details connect to each other. Um, and, and finally, I realized that I can't, I, can't, I can't find the music anymore. I mean, it, it's under the markings somewhere. Mm -hmm. Then I take the other score and, and start reading that. And then I realized that I don't have to mark that much anymore. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the problem with the markings, as, as Jorma always said, and says, still says that, that if you mark too much, you, you start to follow your markings. You don't read the score, you read your markings. Mm. Mm. That's and, and, and that's why, that's why, I, that's why I always, and I also realized that at, at some point I, need, I had to buy uh, uh, new scores for Beethoven symphonies. I, I, need, I had to buy new Brahms symphonies because they, they just gradually became so full of different kind of, sometimes, sometimes useful, sometimes useless markings. Mm. Uh, and for instance, now I have uh, entirely clean Berenreiter Beethoven edition, and mm -hmm. I, I realized that I don't, I don't really have to mark anything anymore. No. Same, same with the Sibelius symphonies. So I have, I have sort of two sets of scores, the other ones with markings, the other ones with not markings, and I, I use those with, which are not marked because then, then, I, I, then, I, then I actually read what's in the score. I think that's the danger for those of us who, who mark our scores. You know, I, I, for me, marking in marking the score and writing things in is my way of learning it. Um, mm -hmm. But then, when you come to rehearse and perform, you know, that th they need to be, you need to almost have a, a pair of filtered spectacles on that that you see past those markings and then they get get into the music, because otherwise, you know, you could end up. There's, you know, the stories about seeing Schulte scores, uh, which are, you know, the, 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 you can barely see any of the printed music anymore. Um, and so, yeah, you have to be very, very careful. Um, but yeah, I, and quite a few people have said that they either use two sets of scores like you, or they get rid of the older ones and, and, and start again with a fresher one. Um, and I think there maybe comes a point in every conductor's life when that's not a bad thing. Um, and new editions like Bear and Writer help, don't they? When they bring out a new edition, yes, I've just rebought the last three Vorjak symphonies because Bear and Writer have brought them out, and and yeah, it's been lovely to sort of approach them. And I've I've realised I've written far less in than I used to. But I, I also I'm also trying a new method now because I, I have two premieres here in Helsinki in two weeks, mm. um, two young uh, Finnish composers, and this is the first time actually I've been trying to read without. Any, any pencil around, mm. just read. Uh, and uh, it's, it's painful, I mean, just, just you do not having that pencil around and then you know, uh, that sort of thinking with your pencil. Mm. But uh, I, I realized that it is, it is possible but mm. it's it, it's like uh, quitting smoking, <laughs> that you know suddenly you don't have that cigarette around. Um, 
but you you still have to you know <laughs> go ahead <laughs> oh, well that's maybe why i find it difficult to put the pencil down because i haven't managed to work out a way of quitting smoking yet so <laughs> the two are linked for me <laughs> oh, there we go yeah Hanu, it's 10 questions time, and by now you'll probably know that the first two questions are what sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate? Well, I love sounds of home, my, my home city, my, mm. my home country. Um, Helsinki is by the sea. I, I love sound of sea. I love sound of birds. Uh, by the sea, seagulls, swans, uh, cranes. You know, you don't have to, in Finland. You don't have to live countryside in, if you want to hear birds. Mm. Uh, I love sound of wind. Um, at the same time, I love sounds of city. I I I I'd love to hear sound of tram passing, for instance. Mm. Um, so I I like the, the sounds which help me somehow realizing that. I'm at home. Yes. Um, that I'm 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 safe somehow, mm. and at, I and I hate sound. At the same time, it's 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 weird, but I hate uh, the sudden sounds, which you you know uh, noises like drilling or mm. uh, you know vehicles that that makes uh, a sudden horrible sound, which which usually happens in the cities and I love cities and at the same time I hate the mechanical sounds of, of city and at the same time I, I, I love it so it's a it's schizophrenic I understand that it might sound weird but I, I love the sounds of city and I hate the sounds of city. That's, uh, I'm a city person I, I've never lived in the country and I, I'm with you I, you know I, I like the safety of a city um, and then yeah it's a frightening place. The next one preferably with no music I'm sure you can find a way of spending well we've all spent a lot of time free recently if you had 24 hours free what would you spend it doing I would probably go sailing um, alone mm -hmm. because um, just being there just you and the endless sea it it makes you come down and it actually makes you meet yourself. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't make you forget all your problems or, or, or whatever you have in your mind. But but at least you have you get you get chance to face yourself. Uh, and, and for me, it always happens when I'm when I'm sailing when when I'm on the sea. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that probably would would be it. You know, a day and and night and sunrise on the sea. Do you, like many of my Finnish friends, have a, a summer place away in the forest or on an um, island? I mean, Okukamu, well, he was a big sailor, wasn't he? And had, a, had yes. an island, island shack. Um, so do you have one of those? Uh, no, I know I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm not... Um... <sighs> I mean, I, I love sea, but I don't, I don't really like countryside that much. Um, okay. Um, so uh, no, I don't have any summer cottage. I mean, I, I can I, I visit those places every summer because, as you said, most Finns have one. Mm. Um, but I, I got into sailing as as I, as I told you earlier. I'm I'm from a very small city by the sea, and mm. and sailing was actually the only thing for for a kid to do, except playing ice hockey. I mean, <laughs> the, 
hockey hockey and sailing and i i did both but uh but sailing is still it, it's still something it's it's different than um my, my father for instance who um uh, he, he comes from karelia um and he had to leave his home when soviet troops took his home in 1939 mm. he he was uh he was born um by one of the biggest lakes in in Europe, Lake Ladoga, which is now in in Russia, mm. and and then he moved to Rauma, where I was born, which is by the sea. And I always saw that he was afraid of sea, because he was born by the lake. And so it's I, ha I have I have the same, but other way around. If I'm by the lake, I'm afraid. Mm. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, the next one, I'm sure you know, you can have more than one. Um, who would be a favorite conductor of yesteryear? Well, let's say that recently um, I've enjoyed um, Jascha Horenstein mm. a lot. I mean, some of his Mahler recordings are, are something very, very special. I mean, nobody does Mahler like Horenstein. Uh, I've recently enjoyed Artur Rodzinski. I just mm. listened to his Tristan. Um, I've also enjoyed, and always, and not only recently, but always, Hans Knappertsbusch mm. and his, mm. his Wagner and his Bruckner. Um, I, I would say that these three, Rodzinski, Horenstein and Knappertsbusch. Mm. Brilliant choices, and nobody else has come up with those. Um, okay, so what, 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 what do they usually come up with? <laughs> well, uh, about one in three, somebody says Carlos Kleiber. Um, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I mean, but that... that I mean, they're three wonderful names from the past, but um, mm. I, mean, I remember hearing stories about Horenstein when I joined the CBSO in 1991, 92, there were still players there who were, who started in the 1950s, uh, late mm. 50s, and they remember being conducted by Horenstein and being frightened to death of him because um, he was quite a character, you know, in those, in those days when conductors could be more of a dictator than they can be now. Um, but wonderful musical experiences. A friend of mine remembers a performance of Tchaikovsky 6. He said, you know, it made the hair stand on the back of his neck um, and never ever got anybody got anywhere close, you know. Um, so, yeah, wonderful names. Wonderful names. Mm -hmm. um, going on, um, some people find this question a bit more difficult. And who mm. would be a favourite current conductor? Yeah, this is this is a difficult one. Um, I mean, I mean, first of all, first of all, I mean, I don't I don't go to concerts that much anymore. I mean, I, I usually see conductors who guest conduct in Helsinki yes. when I travel. I don't I don't go to concerts. I mean, if, if I go to Berlin or London, I, I might go. Um, but there are actually so many contemporary conductors I haven't seen. Mm. I know them from the recordings, and from those I've seen and heard one of the most impressive i mean the one whom i always trust somehow is ivan fisher yes yeah. i mean he, he would be my my modern hero others other names you won't get i mean i mean he's he's the only only one i would i would say that i always whenever for instance i see that he has recorded something i'm i'm almost sure and i'm i'm, I'm almost actually 100 percent sure that it's 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 full of of uh uh, musical invention, mm. but it also respects the the tradition, and especially if he if he works with his own orchestra, the Budapest Festival Orchestra. It says also sound wise, um, they are something something very special, something something I you know this clarity, and and full sound uh, at the same time is mm. is something which which I which I really 
would like to, which I would like to, you know, achieve myself one day as well. <laughs> Did I don't know whether I'll leave this in, but uh, let's see. Did you happen to see the set of three days of masterclasses he gave at the Concertgebouw during lockdown um, with four young conductors? No. And he was teaching them and talking to them. And like you, I've enjoyed his recordings. I never played, for, um, I think I didn't play for him. I'll have to check that. But always, always mm. enjoyed his music making. But his teaching style was wonderful. Um, straight to the okay. point, absolutely straight to the point. I would recommend it to anybody uh, to find them on YouTube. There are three, um, three, three or four days of, of uh, I think there are four days of masterclasses he gave with the Concert Cabal. One of the first things back with a socially distanced orchestra. And yeah, superb for the things he said. Absolutely direct to the point. Uh, no flannel, no, no bullshit. It was just straight to the point. Really good. Sounds like Finnish teaching then. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, what is the hardest work you have ever conducted? Um, technically, it, it's probably something by, by Sir Harrison Bertwistle. Um, let's you know something like uh, Secret Theatre or oh. or even um, Earth Dances, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. uh, which because the score because the score is very complex to read, uh, but but also from the technical point of view, you you actually have to. Um, you have to organize every bar somehow. You have to organize every measure. Well, how, how do I actually beat here? It's not only in four and or in yes. three, but it's 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 actually inventing all the time different kinds of methods how to how to go on. And it's fun. It's fun. It's rewarding, but it's uh, it takes lots of time. But actually, I I I always feel that conducting a second Viennese school is very difficult. Yes. Technically also, Webern and Schoenberg. Right. Uh, a little bit of the same thing than with Sir Harry, that, that, you, that, that, that every bar needs uh, a special technical attention. Mm. Um, otherwise, of course, I mean, there's lots of contemporary repertoire, which is difficult, but, but, but especially Bertwistle, I think, is is something something um, unique in, in yeah. that sense. But I mean, earlier emotionally, I don't know. I mean, earlier I tended to be quite emotional about certain pieces uh, because I was young, so I, I made them difficult because uh, I was emotional about them. Yes. Uh, pieces like Parsifal or Tristan or Mahler symphonies. I, I suppose these pieces are the same for everybody. That mm. that, that we, we we tend to take them too seriously i mean they are seriously and they are they are huge chunks of, of music but um but we should just learn how to approach them as, <laughs> as music and as scores and i'm i'm gradually coming to that point but i still uh, find find it somehow difficult because they are long they are physically exhausting yeah. and and also they eat you emotionally when traveling abroad to conduct what item could you not leave home without uh well there are there are probably plenty of things i don't survive without uh well but i always have my own pillow when i when i travel it's 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 modeled it's modeled for me yes. personally for me so that it supports my neck and and, and my my head because I, I tend to get serious problems otherwise um this is actually quite new but but i i suppose the thing um I've, I have had with me from the very beginning of my care, career, of my traveling career, is a Swiss army knife. <laughs> I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably not the only one who is traveling with a Swiss army knife. You, it's, you, you, you need it every week for something weird. Um, 
or is it, maybe not even weird. I mean, sometimes you open a wine bottle, sometimes you peel an apple, sometimes you have to you have to fix the the curtain in your hotel room, and it, <laughs> it's it's something you need to have around. Well, I agree. Time I, and everywhere. I, yeah, I have one in my well, packing my suitcase. Um, of course, you know. You only make the mistake once of packing it in your carry-on luggage and then having to throw it in a bin at an airport. Um, but yeah, I always carry one. And I'm beginning to... You're not the first person to say that they take their own pillow. I might start doing this. I think this is mm-hmm. uh, this is quite clever because um, I struggle with hotel pillows, especially in Germany when they basically give you uh, a square of, of cloth with some air inside it and it doesn't support my head. <laughs> yeah. Or, or in Japan, where, where they are hard as, as a rock. What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? Um, I don't know. I mean, what would I change? I mean, what I have noticed during the pandemic, and I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually happy that we haven't been speaking about the pandemic, mm. uh, but I, I've noticed that I've started to enjoy the fact that the planning span is much shorter now. Mm. I've noticed that I I've, I enjoy deciding programs very late sometimes, just you know, sometimes just weeks before the concert because things are changing all the time. But um, I've started to like it because because then um, then you you get chance to program something that you really uh, love at the moment, something something you really have need to do. Mm. Um, and and also you you get chance to react to uh, what is happening around you. You have you get chance to uh, react to what orchestras want, react to what what audiences seem to want right now. Um, so I that this is something I would like to keep mm. in some way um, to, to be able to be flexible and fast in 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 programming and not 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 telling that you know in in january uh, 2024 i will i will do this at uh, that symphony and and leonora tree overture and, this, mm. and that concerto um but but maybe deciding much later what you actually want to do and what the orchestras want to do and that might result programming which is a little more linked into our time and linked into what happens in the society and what people feel at the moment i i, I might be wrong but i feel that there is something that there's something here which i would like to to um, explore a little bit more i think with symphony orchestras that's potentially not 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 going to be a problem i think that most symphony orchestras are are deciding things only weeks or a couple of months in advance i think the problem comes and it will still come with things like opera um because the amount of people involved with having to plan an opera um but i yeah i find it interesting yeah that um it's it gives you a chance to play some music that's more current um and and linked to what's going on in the world right now, rather than, as you said, you know, I'm going to be conducting Mahler's Seventh Symphony in March 2025. You know, that, <laughs> that's the way it worked beforehand, didn't it? Um, yeah, maybe maybe now we would like to react to uh, something like Black Lives Matter, or you know, uh, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what that would be. You know, just you know, but maybe African American composers. I don't know. But yeah. now, but then we could do it faster. Yes. Yeah. No, I think it's. I think it could happen, uh, and I, I, it is happening right now um, because nobody knows when they're going back to normal, whatever normal is going to be. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, there was a 
time I wanted to study political science, but but I'm not really interested in anything else than conducting. I mean, I, I mean, I think this is a very difficult question for most conductors. Maybe mm. maybe you have noticed that. But uh, I, I I mean. I've always been interested in in how societies have developed, how I mean, why they have developed and by whom, and that's why I follow closely politics in my, especially in my own country. So um, I think that's the reason why I wanted to study political science. I, I think I ultimately wanted to become a diplomat, mm. um, but with my temper, that probably would be impossible <laughs> thing to do. But uh, yes, it, it would be something like that. Uh, um, I would, I would, if if I had to stop conducting, I would, I would, I would go to the university. I would study something: history, yes. politics, um, literature, something like that. Something, something peaceful. Yeah. Well, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of conductors have found it difficult to answer this question because conducting is so all-consuming. But the reason yes. for ask asking the question is to find out if people had a space or a world that they go to away from music you know whether it be somebody who who loved art and wanted to be an art restorer or there, there have been plenty of conductors have come on here and said that they wanted to be a pilot because they've learned to fly whilst being a conductor uh, and it was a way of finding out whether somebody somebody had a personality away from the podium and uh, and but you're right what you're saying is the fact that conducting is so consuming of the time and of your energies um but yeah, it sounds like, you know, if a political debate um, program comes on the radio, you're going to sit and listen to it because you're interested. And that's, that's great. If the world were to end tonight, what would be your choice of final meal and drink? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's maybe not what, but with whom. I mean, yes, I would, I would probably, I, I would probably be with my family, with my best friends, but mm. it would be something very simple. I, I love Italian food. Uh, it's, that would be something, uh, it would be a, a very simple pasta with aglio, olio, peperoncino, something like that. Mm. Um, there would be maybe a carpaccio in the beginning. Uh, and the dessert would be something Russian. It would be a pavlova, for instance. <laughs> you know, uh, some, something, something I've always loved. Maybe they are something, something my mother used to do. Uh, they are something we do at home all the time. You know, something yeah. which is, uh, and something which I, uh, which I always love I, I, when I go to Italy. Um, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. But then I would, I would certainly need my, my family and friends around when I when I have that meal, and Italian red wine or anything else. That yeah, that, might... yeah, yeah, that would that would be a Barolo. Yes, absolutely. Oh, what a wonderful choice! <laughs> I like a Barolo. <laughs> uh, Hanno, it's been wonderful, absolutely wonderful. I've loved chatting to you. Likewise, and I hope very much to see you soon in the future. Same here. Thanks, Mike. A mic on the podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat with a British conductor who started his musical career as a rehearsal pianist but then quickly entered the world of opera. He has been a music director in both Norway and Belgium and is currently music director in Italy and the United Kingdom, as well as presenting some superb documentaries about the world of opera and singing on BBC television. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs>